1: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
2: I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Shriver. I'm Stan Winka I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast.
0: Well, how we've all managed to get on the same podcast together tonight is something that has rather mystified me because Catherine seems to have been working around the clock for two straight weeks and uh, and has just done another wonderful shift of work, this time for Amazon Prime Video, talking about the tennis in Canada. Uh, Matt just sort of fits in and around Catherine and myself. I don't really know how he's coping, uh, and I've I've just come to Portugal for a, for a week. Um, so I'm sitting in the lobby at the moment with some uh, some gentle music playing in the background that maybe only I can hear. Um, but um, I have you, you,
3: you've you've deliberately sat in a really unglamorous location, David, in uh, as an act of sensitivity. I have <laughs> towards. My very ir- irrational self, yeah, and un- unre- my unreasonable rules about uh, the sending of glamorous holiday photos to mm-hmm. the group chat. I've sent zero.
0: <laughs> Matt actually requested one today. <laughs> yeah, you can send it privately. <laughs> I did. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, so uh, yes, it's it's I, it's horrible here, Catherine. Um, I'm
3: more okay with indoor photos. Mm.
0: Well, I can. Well, you can, I, can t- I just don't want
3: to see outdoor photos. I don't want to see a pool. Okay. I don't want to see a beach. I don't want to see the sun.
0: No problem, but it's quarter to one in the morning. I can take, know,
3: take one David of Law from- smiling with a beer in a in a restaurant. Yeah, not with happening. assorted family members. I, I can I can handle that.
0: Oh, can you? Oh, right. I'll, yeah. go, I'll go and wake them yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fine. Because um, at the moment, I'm sat here in an empty lobby with a wall behind me just for you. And uh, yes, I'll be getting a photo of it. Mm, it Sense. looks like you're
3: in a hostage video. I really yeah. appreciate it, David. You're, you're Thank welcome.
0: you. You're welcome. Uh, that's, what, 14 years of, uh, of, of <laughs> friendship and uh, professional uh Companionship does for you <laughs> um, right well let 's talk about tennis shall we uh, how are we both? We' all, are all right you 've just done done a day of of canada catherine what 's it what 's mm. it look like from i know you're you 're in a studio in London, but what does it look like witnessing these two tournaments, i guess for the first time with the same rights holders because it was supposed to be last year wasn 't it and yet it didn 't happen yeah, well, from
3: a broadcasting point of view it's it's, it's it still feels like a massive luxury to have the rights to both, and actually, this is the first time we 've yeah done i mean well Canada is unique isn 't it with the concurrent men's and women 's and we 've talked before about i think we all just really love that format i I really love the two cities the the alternating between men men's and women 's each of them. Um, I think that's brilliant. And yeah, it just feels like a massive luxury, the darting around and knowing that there'll always be some a, a decent match to go to. Um, I mean, I'm I'm sure at some point in the week there will be an inevitable downside of, you know, having to sacrifice showing one match in one grey match in favour of another. But, you know, they're all available to view on the platform at least. Um, and yeah, I... I, I love these tournaments. I particularly love Montreal. I've been there twice um, and was there two years ago, the last time the tournament was held. Of course, it was a men's event then. And I love the city. Um, I love, yeah, the hospitality of that tournament. It's it's really right up there as one of my favourites. I've got very happy sort of Medvedev emerging memories of, of two years ago. It was the first time... I sort of remember thinking, "Oh, he could be quite interesting." <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, no, I'm, it's it's great. I have to keep stopping myself from sort of accidentally talking about weightlifting. Because
0: that's what you've been doing for, yeah. for Eurosport.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, not exclusively weightlifting.
0: Just out of the blue, weightlifting. Thank,
3: thankfully for the for the viewers.
0: Mm. Um I've been to Montreal and yeah. Toronto for the tournaments but both of the ATP tournaments I don't th- I didn't do the the WTA tournaments I don't think. Um 2003 was the first time for Montreal and it was won by Andy Roddick just a couple of weeks before he went on and won the US Open. He um, won the double didn't he? Yeah.
3: With Brad Gilbert.
0: Mm, he did indeed. Gosh, I
3: remember watching that. Uh, did you David? Dangle off the CN Tower,
0: though. No, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've, there wouldn't be much point. I'd have been on the ground before you know it. But uh,
3: I mean, they generally don't let that happen. No. Which is what I explained to my mum after <laughs> after I sent in the video of me dangling off the top of the CN Tower.
0: Right. Was it good?
3: Uh, well, it's very easy to say after the fact. I'm very glad I did it. I thought I was going to be a rock star like yeah did this really gnarly thing wasn't got a really gnarly picture wasn't that cool and actually I uh, um, involuntarily began sobbing in in the lift (laughs) on the way up (laughs) and (laughs) couldn't stop sobbing the way around okay and I was with People that I didn't know that well and that I still have to see. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, then I went to Toronto in 2010. It's so only the one time I've been there. And that was a tournament which was won by Andy Murray. And I think he might have beaten Nadal and Federer back to back to win it, is my recollection.
2: Mm. It was the big four in the semis. Mm.
0: One of the quite
2: few times that actually happened. I think you sort of think that they always reach the semifinals of every tournament. But that was actually quite a rare thing, that they were all there. And, yeah, Murray came out on top, didn't he?
0: Yeah, blimey.
2: Matt's
0: uh, just wheeled that off. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm the one who was there. And, I, and I'm sort of <laughs> just about vaguely recalling that that might have happened. And Matt's got the actual stats. And, oh, and by the way, Djokovic was there as well. Um, Matt, how are you? You all right?
2: Very well, thank you. Yes. And I just wanted to say, Catherine, I think you've done a fantastic job of not mixing up Toronto and Montreal all day. I feel like that is a big challenge this oh, week. It is, isn't it?
3: I had a, a sketch pad in front of me on which I actually wrote the wrote the words T for testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> To try and remember that the men were in Toronto and the women were in Montreal, I just couldn't make it stick. Uh, my head was swirling with thoughts of uh, modern pentathlon and canoe slalom, and I just couldn't, I couldn't fix it in my brain. Uh, and and uh, the the PA Sarah came over, talked back, and said, "Just remember T for testosterone." And um, it it got me through the day. So thank you for remarking upon that. What is she? Right.
0: For, what is she for M?
3: <laughs> well, once you've got T for testosterone, right. then the logical conclusion is M
0: for w- women. Okay, <laughs> uh, th- that works. Right, let's talk about the actual tennis, shall we? And there's been lots of it. So I think we'll start with there. I mean, just for, for a start, the 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 event. Today, the, the match I saw was um, Dan Evans being beaten handily by Alexander Bublik, um, who who looked brilliant, I thought. I mean, he, he looked as though... And he still seemed to be playing within himself. He, he's this guy we, we, we're so used to hitting trick shots and outrageous stuff. And and that was as close to a percentage play full of... of uh, rallies sending him to victory that I can remember but the other half of the story was that Dan Evans didn't didn't look anything like his normal self is is that about right
3: yeah this one it, it, I found this quite difficult to analyze from a a public point of view because yes he did look really dialed in and never really wavered in that which I'm not sure is something I've ever ever properly seen before but equally I, I think I thought Dan Evans looked a shadow of himself really there was no exuberance in him there was no um, scrappiness and there just seemed to be no resilience there and yes he's a very stylish player but actually what wins him the matches is all of those things rather than the, the stylishness um, and and take them away, and he can look quite quite ordinary, um, and and so outgunned. It can look so out of his depth. I think, um, and that that's a little bit what he looked like today. I'm quite sure he'll get it back. You know, it seems. You know, it's clear cause and effect. I think he's had he's had COVID, and okay, he's recovered from COVID now, but that doesn't mean it hasn't taken a lot out of his training and really disrupted his preparation for an extremely gruelling portion of the season. The The conditions in both Toronto and Montreal actually look incredibly Tokyo-esque. It must be just heart-sinking territory for the players that were in Tokyo and thought, thank goodness, I've got out of that cauldron of fire and then arrive in... In Canada, and it seems to be kind of identical conditions, that suffocating humidity. I, I interviewed um, Joe Conta in her hotel room this evening and asked her about the conditions. And she said, yeah, it's really sweaty. <laughs> yeah,
0: there um, were three
2: retirements, weren't there, today in Montreal? Yeah,
3: three in Montreal. Um, and we saw a number of players on court getting their blood pressure checked today, getting their pulse taken, their blood pressure checked, getting their breathing monitored. So... Yeah, look, I've no doubt Dan Evans will get it back. I just, I think it's a bit of an unknown quantity how long this will take. And that must be very, very disconcerting for him, Mm. I think. It must be quite a, a troubling time for him, I'd imagine.
0: And difficult to get matches, of course, at the moment, because you're playing really good players at the ranking he's, he's at. I mean, I think it was... We'll go on to talk about Washington, uh, the tournament that, that took place last week in a minute, but he lost to him 7-6, 6-love uh, against uh, Brandon Nakashima, who's had a, a great couple of weeks and reached finals, but still that's two first round losses and you know there's, there's no cause for alarm in terms of losing a couple of matches as such. It's more that, as you said, he had COVID straight after Wimbledon. He, he It did knock him about. It stopped him training. And I'm sure this is the case for a lot of players that it's, it just becomes really difficult to get yourself back up to speed against players who haven't had it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I do remember some days in Montreal when I was there, could be just blisteringly hot. Others were full of thunderstorms and, and lashing rain. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out what, what the effects are over the, the next week in, in those couple of tournaments. Um, which are being played without Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic in them uh, from a a men's perspective in Toronto and now we've we've learned today that Cincinnati is also going to be without both of them we knew for a few days that that was the case for for Roger Federer he had decided that he wasn't going to be able to play either um, which I think is has to be a real concern. He cited the knee as the reason for it, um, and uh, he talked about a setback with that ahead of the Olympics, which he pulled out of. Djokovic today has has said what was painfully obvious to anybody watching Tokyo, that he's exhausted, he needs more time with his family to rest up and get ready. I, I still think it it makes for a very interesting additional elements to the story over the next few weeks as to whether the fact that other players are building momentum whilst he's got his feet up makes any difference whatsoever
3: I thought you were going to say whether he's going to play Winston-Salem
0: well I don't think it's out of the question Um, I I don't think he will personally I think it's out of the question Matt
2: yeah I think so I think in his statement he basically said see you in New York it is interesting, though. It does add an extra element of intrigue into what is already a fascinating story at the US Open. Um, it strikes me that two things need to happen in New York for Djokovic to lose. and um, One of those is Djokovic being below par, and I think the stress of what he's trying to achieve could could cause that. I think that's possible. The other thing is if he... Doesn't have his form and just isn't playing well. And look, he didn't play well at, to finish the Olympics. Um, he needs to rediscover the form he had earlier in the summer. I think, in terms of someone being able to beat him, the thing is, there's only really a handful of players. I would have thought that he could draw in the first couple of rounds that would trouble him. You know, I think Kyrgios would be outside the seeds. A guy like Fritz, who we've Can mentioned. You imagine? I mean. Kyrgios Djokovic first round. <laughs> it's all <laughs> I'm imagining. Um, you know, but they just aren't the threats, I don't think. And I think that is probably a you know part of the reason why he feels comfortable doing this. He backs himself to rediscover the form and to get through those first few rounds of the US Open and to get into that tournament. He knows himself. He's won slams before when he's not had a lead-in event. It's got to be the right decision.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think it's the right decision as well. I mean I uh, I I suppose I immediately look at it and just think, Wow, you know, not playing a lead in tournament. But effectively everything he's been playing is a lead in tournament because he's been playing mm. so much and this is just the ultimate refresher, isn't it? Recharge of of batteries and uh he he's done it before he went to Wimbledon without playing on grass before it and he won it a couple of Australia times too. yeah yes of course and I don't know I just think that he is the worst thing that can happen to him is he be in any way tired or you know jaded and and he, he looked that immediately uh, in that moment where the match turned against Vero it was like a it's like a sudden moment where it's just all gone. All of his energy. Um, and he needs the maximum available to him. Um, Federer is just an extension of what we were discussing at Wimbledon, I think. That he is in a... I think he's probably in a bad way. Um, and I can't see him playing the US Open. Maybe that's wrong. I just can I cannot see it. Um, and therefore... Who knows whether whether he can get himself match fit again? Um, guess we'll see. But uh, it just seems t- too much of a stretch to me. Either of you think differently?
3: I think there's a scenario in which he the this setback, this admission that he can't play any lead-up tournament to the U.S. Open, which essentially is a is an admission that. He can't challenge for the US Open, even if he were physically able to play, I think. Maybe maybe that is the uh, Rubicon crossed in terms of it being the end. In which case then the decision is, do I play the US Open just to play one last US Open and one last Grand Slam and feel like I'm going out on my own terms now? our inkling based on, you know, sort of loose intel but nothing firm or in particular is that he intends to go out at the Labour Cup. Um, Possibly this Labour Cup. Probably this Labour Cup. And perhaps that makes playing one last Grand Slam less significant, less important. Um, I don't know, but that... I, I certainly don't think if he plays the US Open it would be because he thinks he can win the US Open I think he must have accepted in his mind now that, that that's that's not what tennis this season is about anymore sounds like to me I mean that's a dreadfully sad thing to say but um, I I fear it I fear it's true
0: that what you think Matt?
2: yeah It is exactly what I think. Um, Look, Federer's knee has been a huge problem over these last 18 months, even going back to all the setbacks last year when when he had to have the additional surgery, when we heard he wasn't really playing much, when he couldn't make Australia at the start of the year, even though it was delayed, and when he came back and he was citing those fitness concerns in Doha and... He only managed three matches at Roland Garros and he lost the six-love set at Wimbledon. You know, none of it has been particularly positive, really. I mean, it was it was a triumph that he got to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon, that he was out there playing as he did, but he looks a million miles from challenging to win Grand Sam titles, which which he was doing in 2019, the last time he played a full season. So absolutely, I think, You know, the game has changed for him now. And at the moment, it's certainly not about trying to win the U.S. Open. And if he does play, yeah, I think that could well be a sign that he just wants one more Grand Slam appearance. As things stand, I think there's going to be full-capacity crowds in New York. I think that's a big deal for him. I think he would be able to have his family with him. These are all important factors that might make him play. I think if he doesn't play the U.S. Open... It could still mean that he's thinking of going out at the Labour Cup, or you know, it could possibly mean he's he's thinking longer term and really trying to get the knee back to health. I just don't have that much faith that that can happen, given given the eighteen months that I've just laid out there. But we'll see. Hmm.
0: Well, we wish him uh, uh, as swift and full a recovery as he can get from that knee injury. Um, and he's turned 40 years of age in the last uh, few days, which is um, a milestone. Um <laughs> haven't been through it. i uh, closer <laughs> to the other one. Uh, I know that. Um, but um, he, it's, uh, it's, it's a heck of an age to still be even contemplating a career uh, of the type of physicality required for players like him and Serena and Venus Williams to be doing what they're doing. Um, but we will see we'll see what happens next um what about the rest of toronto and montreal what are the stories in the absence of those two and serena williams what are the stories who who, who really springs to mind
2: simona halep is back we've not seen her for a few months i'm, I'm quite excited to see her again and I think she's just dropped out of the top ten for the first time in several, several years. She's she's one of in one of the most consistent players in WTA history, really, in terms of sustaining that top ten ranking. Um, you know, really unlucky injury that took her out of three massive tournaments. Um, so I'm I'm pleased that she's back, um, and I think Bianca Andreescu is is another big one, the sort of defending champion, really. She she won in Toronto, wasn't it, in, in 2019. And this is the first time the event's being played again. And we spoke about the struggles she was having through the clay and the grass and, and bubble life. We've we've had confirmation that Coco is on site, which basically means she's going to win the tournament.
3: Visual confirmation. <laughs> mm. This is Andreska's yeah,
0: dog, right? Mm. Yes. Who Catherine people had a f- selfie with. The
3: people know, David. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah for me for me Andrescu is the big story in in Montreal you know she's she's so responded to to playing in front of a home crowd when she won two years ago she's working with Sven Greneveld now on a on a trial basis I'm I'm very interested in that and the boost that it can give her and yeah look I I know it's been a a really stuttering and frustrating comeback for her. She must have had some real lows. I know she's all about the positivity and mindfulness, but she must have had some real lows this year, not just, you know, having a marching in band stroke up singing happy birthday moments after you've just lost a crushing tennis match. Um, you know, she's had COVID and she's had hard quarantine and you know the turning her ankle in the final of Miami you know it's just been heartbreak after heartbreak but I, I I'm wary of raising expectations too too high for her but you know she could do with some results now she really could I know she's still extremely young but before before you you know the scar tissue the baggage it builds up doesn't it she, she could just do with getting on a roll and it, it it feels like a feels like a big week crowds okay not huge crowds but some home crowd to to spur her on i think she's fit Touch, i'm touching wood as i say that but i think she's fit and you know maybe the new coach bounce I hope those things plus obviously Coco um, can create the sort of perfect recipe for her to not necessarily win the thing but just start something Mm. start something
0: yeah you're right about I think you're right she does need to get on something of a role and start to feel like the tennis player she was two years ago because that just inevitably hasn't been possible because of all the breaks, um, most of them beyond her control. But yeah, it, it can be difficult on the tour, especially with a, with a tour as deep and full of quality players as the WTA circuit, to to be able to get any momentum going. Um, but she's good enough. With that much we do know. Um, just on the subject of the crowds, does that mean? There are full crowds, because I noticed it was absolutely empty in the Evans public match, and I don't think that was just them not appealing to people. That was was curfew, am am I right?
3: So, in Toronto, a crowd of around 4,600 is allowed in the main stadium. They're not allowed to go anywhere else in the ground, so all outside courts are crowdless. 4,600 in the main stadium, but then there's this curfew of approximately 5 p.m. So in between the second and third matches on centre court, the stadium was emptied. Uh, So the preceding match on centre court, actually a really good match, slightly bizarre, but a really good one. Um, Fabio Fanini against Jan-Leonard Struff, which Fanini won despite being sort of dead man walking for a set and a half. Um, the crowd was told to go home after that match and then Dan Evans played to an empty stadium.
2: I felt like there were some fans that had come back in to Evans versus Public at the end of the match. There was a smattering of people there and I, I think that there is a night session crowd in Toronto. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure... Right, so it's
3: two separate swathes of 4,600 people but they have to make sure that they don't overlap at Mm. right i think that could be
2: the situation it it's 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 weird but we're used to weird
3: yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side
3: Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code Pod 20 for 20% off your annual subscription.
0: The other thing we should say uh, that there is to look forward to is Rafael Nadal being in action in uh, Toronto. Um, I mean, look, it's fantastic to see him. And, and, um, we can talk as well now about what we saw last week in, in Washington, which were full crowds and which were Nadal just whipping them into a frenzy, which was a real reminder of what full crowds in America can be like and what Nadal can the effect he can have on on a full crowd because we've just been without that because he didn't play Wimbledon um, he hasn't played many tournaments with with lots and lots of people present um, in in recent months and uh, and it was that was great to see in his match against Jack Sock that he managed to win from a breakdown in the final so it was vintage Rafa in that respect but blimey the tennis generally and his physicality were not.
3: Even on the practice court, he was whipping them into a frenzy, David. I think we've all seen a clip that was doing the rounds on Twitter of a local uh, reporter in Washington doing a a piece to camera with Nadal behind him on the practice court just about Nadal coming to Washington for the first time. And he was absolutely shitting the bed about (laughs) nadal being in washington he was losing his mind on live television about it it was sort of adorable (laughs) but um yeah it it, it's it's a crowd-pleasing thing for nadal to have done to go and play in washington
0: Mm,
2: yeah, it, it, it was a it was a really cool reciprocal relationship. I felt that you know Nadal loved being there, and they loved having him. They really sort of rolled out the red carpet for him and gave him this incredible reception. And and we also Did got load my of
3: sightseeing.
2: I was going to say we also got my favorite, my new favorite Nadal, which is tourist Nadal.
3: <laughs> Mis- misidentifying Washington monuments.
2: Yeah, mixing up the Capitol and the White House. Posting a picture of him. Wearing a bicycle helmet on top of his cap. <laughs> <laughs> it was all brilliant and adorable.
3: Yeah, looking startled with dogs in the street. Mm. It, was, it was great Instagram Nadal last week.
2: <laughs> yes, and someone commented, you've mixed up the Capitol and the White House, and he just replied, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh huh. Oh, so fun. Um, I, I was just saying, yes, a, a limited number of fans, roughly 5,000, are allowed per session. Uh, as oh, we're said. back on this. Yeah, it, it <laughs> cut in, in we, we
3: exhausted this, David. We definitely exhausted it.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, what's the deal, Matt, with this foot issue that Nadal has? Because, uh, because he lost his match, uh, his second round match that he ended up playing, and, um, and didn't look in great shape. Mm.
2: Well, the foot is a problem area for Nadal. I think, you know, right back at the start of his career, it almost ended his career before it really started. I think they were really struggling to control the pain in his foot. And my understanding is it was kind of a last, last resort, the solution they ended up finding for that foot. And, he, you know, he's played his whole career with implants in his shoes and he has managed some pain in that area. And I think anyone who watched that, Fourth set of his loss to Djokovic at Roland Garros you could see he was limping he, he he wasn't moving freely in that fourth set I don't think it was necessarily the reason he lost and I think he, he was outplayed on that day by Djokovic but there was clearly an issue for him there and he, he subsequently as we know pulled out of Wimbledon and the Olympics and he gave some quotes saying that he's not really been able to train as as pain-free as he would like in, in these last couple of months since Roland Garros. He's, he's had ongoing issues and it hasn't healed as as quickly as he would like and I think particularly that, that Sock match that you mentioned in Washington, again he was very visibly limping and, and, and struggling with it and then he said it was a bit better for his match against Lloyd Harris which he actually lost. He, uh, he beat Sock and then lost to Lloyd Harris in Washington. Both three set matches I think his tennis was up and down as it has been all season really he's not he's not been quite vintage Nadal this season he has had some slightly odd matches um but you know it was his first time playing in a while and and I think the consensus was that his tennis was okay but this this foot is a problem and and he needs it to get better quite quickly because otherwise he's he's in a race against time for the US Open which obviously is is the big goal for him over the next month or so but yeah I think it's going to be very interesting to watch him over the next few weeks it it wasn't the sort of ravenous Nadal kind of like a caged animal that I was thinking he might be after a couple of months on the sidelines with everyone else really pushing through Wimbledon and the Olympics and he was sort of raring to go that is that is not the situation we're in there are there are some doubts about Nadal's fitness as well and yeah, let's just hope that foot does clear up.
0: Mm.
3: And and his opening match in Toronto mm. is going to be against the guy that beat him less than a week ago in Washington. He's got to play Lloyd Harris again.
0: Oh, that's that's must see TV, isn't mm. it? Because Harris won his match tonight. I saw in your coverage, Catherine. And he, I mean, he is a coming man, isn't he? He has really put it together this year.
3: Yeah, and yet I still keep forgetting about him
0: somehow. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean there. I, I feel I feel like he's somebody why am who. I, wants why am I doing that? Attention more than than what I feel like I give him really.
3: But is it that? I, I was trying to compare him to to bublik earlier, where I feel like bublik is really in my conscious, really forced himself into my consciousness this year, kind of week in week out. You know, he's he's showing up. He's there he seems to always be involved in a match that is sort of notable or significant in in some in some way, and I just of course there have been notable results and weeks for Lloyd Harris this week, of course, this year last last week against Nadal, of course that week in in Dubai where he reached the final, um, and yes I have adjusted my where I. Fit him into the scheme of things somewhat this year and yet I, I just don't i don't have nearly as many lloyd harris memories of 2021 as i do public memories um don't you think that I, says more about public though perhaps yeah maybe maybe i've just picked the wrong bloke to compare him to but what long story short why mean. don't why don't i have more lloyd harris mem- <laughs> why haven't we created more memories together <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I I don't know. <laughs> but, I realise uh, I've
3: asked a very very difficult <laughs> question,
0: um, but yeah, I mean, I I think the thing is that he's been mainly he's been an opponent for for a lot of players and put up good shows against a lot of people without necessarily winning the, the big ones yet, and and I mean you know he's been in all these. First round draws and won a match or two, but he hasn't had runs apart from that Dubai tournament when he so memorably beat Denis Shapovalov in the semifinals, which felt like a really big moment for both of them, really. Um, and uh, ended up losing to Karatsev in the final, didn't he, Harris, in Dubai? Um, but I know I think this is another. This is a real statement. I know it's against a subpar, sub-fit Nadal, but. You've still got to do it, and you've got to not choke, and uh, and he managed to do it. So it'll be it's it's one of the really interesting matches coming up. The fact that he's playing him again, uh, so we'll watch that with interest. Mm. Um. It,
2: yes, it's a bit of a Can Federer situation in two thousand and seven, isn't it? Where he gets a shot at the same bloke again, and let's let's see if the result's any different.
0: Mm. Yes, I was
3: I was going to say a, a Fucovich Rublev situation, but you've come up with a far more
0: eye-catching uh, <laughs> example. Matt's just gone back well the, the fourteen years, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just picked it straight out. Um, brilliant. Uh, the other person that we were talking about a lot um, earlier on in this year, because of his results at challenger tournaments, was uh, Jensen Brooksby, the young American player, who has now broken into the world's top hundred and had a fantastic run in Washington. Um, he beat John Millman for the loss of about two games or three games. Uh, I, I went, I was trying to think, well, what happened in that match? So I went back and watched the highlights of it today. Um, And I don't even think Millman's playing badly. Um, I think it is just a measure of how clever a match player Brooksby is and how talented he is. The the array of shots he's got to discomfort a a solid baseliner. I mean, I'm quite sure it's only really because Andy Murray has drawn attention to him that makes me think that he looks and plays like Andy Murray, that I'm thinking that. But when you when I have gone and watched it today, it is it's uncanny to me how mm. how similar it is the way he goes about his business, what he's trying to do to an opponent, the way he's hitting off pace shots and drop shots out of nowhere, probably a few too many of them, but they're devastating. And then he's got this ability to draw somebody into the net and hit hit a passing shot on the run, which looks impossible. Uh, and he just tied John Millman up in knots, frankly today uh, or a few days ago he ended up getting to the semi-finals he lost a, a tight first set to yannick sinner who went on to win the whole thing uh, and then a, a comfortable second set but Brookby was brooksby was really interesting I and mean, this is what murray tweeted about him out of nowhere in the way that andy murray does sometimes jensen brooksby is the sort of player i love to watch lots of variety high tennis iq great in defense his slice and backhand volley are almost identical to Florian Meyer, says Andy Murray. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you found that as funny as I did.
3: <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of when I did that Queen's quiz with him and I asked him, I can't, I can't, remember, can't remember what the question was, but his speculative answer was <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. as if anyone anyone's thought about Sheng Shalkin in the last 15 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I do like the fact that Aiden has chosen to reply to Andy Murray with, just don't say that he's going to be a future number one. We know how that ends. Um, to which Andy yeah. Murray has replied. Murray
2: took Aidan to task.
0: He's replied, yeah, he might get to number four in singles and number one in doubles. That would be awful. so chippy andy murray on twitter is a is a marvelous sight. um don't Mm. know how andy murray is. he doesn't do things
3: by halves does he he's decided to go back to twitter and he's definitely gone
0: back to twitter (laughs) he has (laughs) and he likes jensen brooksby and i can really understand why the the guy is good to watch
2: yeah totally i mean he he blew away all the all the opponents he faced up until the semi-finals in addition to Milman he beat Kevin Anderson Francis Tifo and Felix Auger Aliassime and that was the match I watched and yeah I just found it so interesting because on the one hand you've got Auger Aliassime who is so smooth and has this perfect technique and just, just looks like a great tennis player he's got that live physique and then the other end of the court you've got Brooksby who's just a little bit rougher around the edges and has a slightly odd technique and doesn't look completely polished. And yet, he was the one who had the winning game plan and he, he thoroughly outplayed Urgele, I seem. Just great anticipation, moving him over the court. As you said, he's got, that, he's got that disguised drop shot, which he sort of hits with with two hands on the backhand and just at the last minute takes his hand off it. He's, he's really interesting and, yeah, he's won... I think three titles on the Challenger tour, and just whenever a young player does that, I just think it's you just need to take note because clearly they have a winning chip there. They have something that's ingrained. They know how to win tennis matches. And yes, it's a big, it's a big step up to start doing that at at the ATP level ahead of the Challenger level. But he's transitioned pretty well already. He reached the final in Newport as well. This this run in Washington, he's he's sort of already arrived. And I think I think we'll be seeing a lot more of him.
0: Mm. Be interesting to see whether coaches and other players can figure out patterns that that trouble him, um, and whether his slightly odd-looking technique in some on some strokes is something they can exploit. Because at the mm. moment, it feels very much as though he's doing stuff to them and things that they're not expecting, um, which which. Is, is great to watch, so I do recommend uh, having a look at him if you haven't seen him yet. Um, Yannick Sinner was the man who ended up winning the title in Washington, beat Mackenzie McDonald 7-5, 4-6, 7-5. I've only seen brief highlights of this, but it sounded as though it was an absolute belter of a match. Um, and the biggest win of Sinner's life in terms of titles.
2: Yeah, and I think it's quite an important win actually. He hadn't had a particularly good few months really, had he? On the grass and then he lost his first round in Atlanta I saw to Chris O'Connell and you know, you just you're just thinking kind of like what we were saying with Andrescu. He just he needs a result. He needs to get something match going. match losing streak. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? So you know it wasn't panic stations but he'd just gone quiet and you, d- you don't want that to become a problem and something that continues so for him to put this week together in washington i think he only lost one set and that was in the final against mcdonald and yeah it was it was a fun match i think it took him 11 set points to win the first set and and then 5-2 up in the decider he lost that lead and eventually got over the line 7-5 I, I think it's i think it's impressive from him he's um he's changed his service technique and that had seemed to be paying dividends i think a lot of the pundits you hear talk about sinner over the last year they've they've all said he can get more out of his serve you know he's brilliant from the baseline but and he's got good movement but that serve he needs he needs more free points he needs he needs to back it up better and i think he started doing that in washington so that's that's a good sign and perhaps You know, he's probably made use of some of the extra training time he's had, you know, having not gone in so deep in these tournaments, perhaps. Um, Yeah, I think I read he's the youngest winner of a ATP 500 event Mm. since they since they recategorized them. When was that? About 2009. Wow, that's a good good achievement. I mean, he seemed really unbothered by it. (laughs) He said, you know, youngest ever, first ever doesn't matter to me. And I think that does sort of illustrate his approach. He's, I think he's very sort of just process driven and, you know, kind of like Nadal a little bit in that sense. But, you know, for us, that's a big deal, Sinner being the youngest to achieve something that just, just points to him being ahead of the curve, as, as we've thought. Of he,
0: looked like a, he looked like the veteran against Brooksby. Is is how they mm. looked to, on the court at uh, the handshake, which is comical to think about <laughs> given Sinners' um, tender years. But I mean, he, he's he's already starting to build towards those what was it? Couple of hundred matches that uh, Ricardo Piatti says he needs to be playing mm. before he can be considered a proper pro. Um, and uh, yeah, he just keeps on playing. He plays a lot, and and he doesn't seem to suffer necessarily from playing a lot at the moment. Um, hopefully that continues. The guy he beat in the final, Mackenzie McDonald, just a word for him, because there's a guy, another one a little bit like Lloyd Harris, doesn't get a lot of airtime in terms of conversation, but he keeps on turning up and playing really good matches. He's obviously a good player.
3: Yeah, I, my main memory of Mackenzie McDonald was, was commenting or reporting and doing brief stints of commentary on him beating Milos Raonic at Wimbledon uh, or playing Milos, being in the fourth round of Wimbledon, I think in 2018 and a real surprise package and yet still nobody talking about him Um, because he, you know, he has had results and upsets and made impacts and yet still nobody talks about him. He's just, He's just there, and he doesn't seem to mind that nobody's talking about him ever. Or maybe he does mind, and I'm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a lot to respect there. I think about, about about Mackenzie McDonald. I mean,
0: he also managed to come past Nick Kyrgios, followed by Benoit Paire in the first two rounds of Washington, uh, and then beat Kane seven five in the third um, in the semi-finals to get his place um, in the uh, the final and then he was so close. I mean, some of the rallies that him and Sinner were playing were absolutely spectacular. Um, re- really, do uh, recommend having a watch of him as well. He's he's, he's good value. And uh, as you said, uh, Wimbledon fourth round. You're quite right, Catherine. Um, in 2018, and I'm just seeing who he ended up playing there. Uh, He was defeated in four sets by Milos Raonic in the round of 16. So Catherine pulls it out of the bag. um, Well, sort of. I think
3: I originally said that he beat Raonic. What I meant was he won a set against (laughs) Raonic.
0: Pretty good going, I reckon. Uh, Talking of pretty good going, that is something that we can be saying about Daniel Collins a lot at the moment because he's just won two successive tournaments. I think it's a 10-match winning streak for her victory in the tournament in San Jose that's the biggest tournament win of her life I mean it's the second one in as many weeks the only two she's won in her career but what a turnaround from somebody who has played very well we've we've loved watching her we've she's had a a semi-final run to the Australian Open but to never have won a title and then to win two in two weeks is a heck of an achievement and I mean some of the stuff that she was playing against Daria Kasatkina last night in a 6-3, 6-7, 6-1 win in the final was just vintage Collins. I mean, for, first of all, I, I I was a bit surprised at just how hard she hits the ball when she's really going for it. I mean, it was relentless stuff. And at one stage, a stat popped up, three games all first set, and she'd hit 15 winners to one of Kasatkina's. And yet it was three games all in the first set. Um, There were some magnificent outbursts uh, in the first set of the come-on variety from Collins. And something that has since surfaced, which isn't available in the WTA official edited highlights of the match, are some of the GIFs. Uh, Some of the little outtakes of... I mean... That is a
2: crime that this isn't available. Yes.
0: Uh, Thankfully, Twitter came to the rescue. the
3: highlight. To suggest that anything is a higher light (laughs) than this moment is
0: criminal. Yes. Well, one one of our dear listeners drew my attention to the fact that uh, an outburst had happened. And I'm thinking well, I've just watched the eight minutes of edited highlights on the WTA website, and nothing happened other than their shouting, come on, so what are you talking about? Well, I did notice at that point that the entire second set tie break, which seemed to be 22 points long, and with, within which Collins had had about five match points, was missing. That just wasn't in the highlights. <laughs> and, uh, and so and I, I, I was wondering, well, what's gone on? And then this this GIF uh, surfaced from, I think, the the web the, the Twitter account, Tennis GIFs or something like it's, that.
3: It's a GIF you'll be seeing a lot of, yes. David. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and how can I best describe it? Catherine, would you like to describe it? I think you could probably do a better job than me.
3: Well, the GIF is obviously uh, mute, as GIFs are. But what she's saying is, oh, shut up.
0: Up <laughs> <laughs> And she's saying it to somebody in the crowd who's apparently been heckling her and the mm. withering look on her face and the lingering It
3: is, <laughs> element. It is it, it,
2: and, and the eyes flutter with rage at the end of the gift.
3: Shut My bar up. for all of those things withering withering looks uh, eyes fluttering with all all of those things. My bar is high, and she's just vaulted over it like <laughs> Holly Bradshaw. <laughs>
0: oh,
2: Bradshaw. Full respect she... to Holly Bradshaw. I think I think she's gold medal material. Daniel mm. Collins
3: vaulted over it like that uh, American woman that won the gold in the pole vault, whose name I've already forgotten. Mm. Yes. <laughs>
0: Well, um, just for my mum's sake, a gif is like a little video. Um, but, um, yes, it, it, it was... A I've ma- already
3: sworn on this podcast, David, we've already alienated your mum. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs Law. I've uh, had one extremely weak watered-down whiskey, and I've I've sworn all
0: over the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it was a magical moment, as was her performance generally, in which she won on her seventh match point against Kasekina, who who not only ended the match heartbroken, so did poor old Matt, who picked her to win the title uh, in our newsletter predictions and must have thought you were on to a 75-point winner, Matt. I did, and especially
2: when I saw the head-to-head going in, which was too love to Kasakina, except Kasekina herself wasn't giving any credence to that at all and, and she actually came out with the quote of the week I think saying uh, that head to heads don't matter in finals um, except maybe when it's Nadal and Gasquet <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs>
0: fantastic. Um, that's so that so good so also, great. also
2: withering <laughs> yes yes with- and truthful
0: most of the best withering stuff is um, but yes. I tell you that's a good win for, for Collins where is Collins now in, in the the sort of the scenarios of um, the landscape of the WTA tour is she in the mix for the US Open well
3: she, she would be less of a surprise US Open winner than Kritikova was a surprise French Open winner but, but, <laughs> but then equally, critique of a winning the French Open doesn't suddenly mean you just sort of throw everyone into the into the mix. It doesn't mean we can be willy nilly about the mix. <laughs> we'll um, about
1: the doesn't mix usually a while. stop us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the so thing I is, if, if you if,
2: if you look at the four biggest events. This year in tennis, the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, and if you chuck in the Olympics as well, 16 different women have reached the semi finals of those events. Nobody has reached the semifinals at more than one of those events. So yes, I think we've got this group emerging at the top and who are winning the big titles, but the opportunity is there for a lot of players to go deep in these tournaments. And I think Danielle Collins, on the sort of form she's in at the moment, you would have to think, depending on the draw, obviously, but you would have to think she's got a very good shot of going deep at the US Open, and and that that will probably put her in the mix. Um, it's just... It's difficult to to tell where Collins is at the moment because she's a completely different player. The fact that she's had the endometriosis surgery means for the first time in her career she can trust her body and that must be so liberating it's like it's like a new career i don't think we've ever really known what collins is fully capable of because in her words it was impossible in the past for her to win back-to-back tournaments you know that just the pain was too much and thank goodness she's now in a much better place with that and we're and we're seeing I think, for the first time, what she's capable of. Look, I mean, they weren't exactly the most stacked tournaments. You know, the best players in the world weren't there. But I think her game stands up when she's playing well. As you said, she ended that match with 54 winners to seven for Kasakina. It was an incredible display. And I don't think anyone wants to have to face that. You know, she's she's got the respect of Serena Williams. We know that. And I think when When you have that you you have the respect of everyone in the game, and they know what she's capable of so on her day she is she's a match for anyone and in the sort of form she's in at the moment, I think we have to be projecting forward to the u s open and thinking she could she could be in the mix there
0: oh Matt, that was great
3: <laughs> <laughs> it It was great, but he concluded on the words could be in the mix which it's fantastically vague.
2: <laughs>
0: I think I've, I've I've learnt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she she beat um, Shelby Rogers, Sloane Stephens, Elena Rybakina, and these are good wins just to get to that final. I'm really surprised, looking at her record in the the major tournaments, that the U.S. Open is the weakest of them for really? her by far. She's played it six times. She's only won one match. Um, and uh, that compares to seven and three uh, in Australia, seven and four at the French Open, three and three at the at Wimbledon, and one and five at the US Open, which is a tournament that to me is made for her in terms of atmosphere. If she could play in front of start getting full crowds. I mean this is a, a woman who came through college and, and loved those big occasions and would rise to them, I think. I, th- I think one of the issues, how much is she got going to have left? How much has she tended to have left by the time the US Open has come around? Because it's such a, a long season until then. I really hope, I really hope she can be at her best for that tournament. Because New York and Daniel Collins are made for each other, <laughs> as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. Um, so very, very interesting to see. So, um, I think that just about does it for another tennis podcast at one forty-four a.m. on a on a sort of Tuesday morning, um, and Catherine. Really does need to go to bed ahead of uh, day two of uh, of Amazon Prime Video's coverage that she'll be up for presenting tomorrow. Uh, I suppose I better go to bed as well because my kids will be up in about four hours and wanting to go to breakfast. Um, and Matt's just got the, the two hours of editing to come, so I uh, hope you're looking forward to that, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's been delightful. Thank you both for your company. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Right, well, well, we'll be back again very soon. <laughs> um, yes,
2: it, it's weird when we don't do a podcast for a week. That feels like a really long time now. It is yes. a long time, yeah.
0: <laughs> Thankfully, we have got another mascot for this week, and I've got a picture of Teddy, the eight-year-old cockapoo who lives in oh. Wimbledon Village. Have you seen this picture, oh. Catherine? This picture.
3: Well, I might have seen Teddy out oh. in the common. Well, Tell
2: actually, I'm, I'm, I'm told that you have met Teddy,
3: <gasps> What?
2: Yeah, uh, I think a few years ago before we, you know, really knew who Teddy was. Tell me more. Um, <laughs> uh, here we go. Uh, we had the pleasure of meeting Catherine a few years ago when she was on her way to work at Wimbledon. We were on our way to the Common and I was listening to the podcast when I saw Catherine walking towards us. And she greeted the dogs,
0: because, <laughs> of course. <laughs> totally ignored the humans. <laughs> this
3: is all sounding... Very plausible. Plausible, yeah, this definitely <laughs> happened. Uh,
0: well, Teddy's oh. Teddy great, Catherine. You're going you're gonna to feast your eyes on this photo of Teddy. the Oh, eight-year-old well, cock-a-poo. I hope
3: that uh, Billie Jean and I bump into Teddy on the Common.
0: Indeed. Uh, and we've all got our own individual mascots. Scouse or Marcel for Matt, Rogue for me, Zeus... For Catherine and uh, Scouser or you were so nearly uh, boosted by Matt uh, in the predictions and then he failed. Um, So, do sign up to the newsletter and find out who we mess up for uh, in this week's tournament, uh, in this week's uh, stage of the tournament. Um, Billie Jean King is the sponsor of Billie Jean the Dog. Is Billie Jean the Dog back home yet, Catherine? Haven't seen her knocking around?
3: She's not, no. Mm. She's in her custom-made custom bicycle basket, being ferried to and from the pub with my with my brother and his girlfriend well, as long as she's having a good time it's all mm, I, care I think about. it's safe to say she's having a
2: good time <laughs> oh, good. Okay. she's also on billy jean king's instagram story
3: yeah, yeah <laughs> she is she's casually hanging out there as well
0: <laughs> marvellous uh, chris albert lee is our executive producer and we will be back again on thursday with a bit of an update with how montreal stroke toronto are going see you then